Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, a weekly conversation about mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. To get more information, visit the website at therapyforblackgirls.com. And while I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 65 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. Today, we'll be chatting about maintaining your mental health in less than favorable work conditions. Today, I'm joined by Farah Harris. Farah is a licensed clinical professional counselor in Flossmoor, Illinois. She received her Bachelor of Arts degree in economics pre-law from the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana, a Bachelor of Arts in Marketing and Management from Illinois Institute of Art, and a Master of Arts in Mental Health Counseling from Trinity International University. Farah believes that mental health includes everything that makes up your well-being, your psychological, mental, spiritual, and social well-being. She specializes in connecting you to your story, helping you to own your voice, better management of your emotions, and forming healthier boundaries. It is in this way that you will become a well-being. Farah and I chatted about dealing with microaggressions in the workplace, how improving your emotional intelligence and setting boundaries can help you to deal with work stress, how employers can provide perks that actually help their employees, and her thoughts on the myth of work-life balance. If you hear something great while you're listening, please be sure to share it on social media using the hashtag TBG in session. Here's our conversation. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Farah. It's so wonderful to be here. Very excited to talk with you. So you do a lot um, about working well um, and learning how to kind of manage your emotions and how we can be really smart in the workplace. And so I know that this is a hot topic. Um, there have been lots of conversations and we're always having conversations, it seems like, in the Thrive Tribe about like microaggressions in the workplace. So do you have any tips on dealing with microaggressions in the workplace? Well, it's not just microaggressions in the workplace. It just seems to be everywhere, isn't oh, it? Clearly, clearly. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm always challenging not just my clients. I'm like in private practice, but anywhere is call it out if it really affects you. I mean, you know, I don't believe in like feeding into ignorance, uh, especially if it's like a, a one uh, off the cuff type of thing. However, it's important to establish clear boundaries on what's acceptable and what's not. So if you are uncomfortable with it, you know, I think the best thing to do is check that person because people are trifling. And if you don't say anything, people will think that it's okay and they'll be comfortable uh, continuing to say things or do things that make you uncomfortable. Um, But if you're not okay with even addressing that person at work, whether it's a colleague or, you know, a manager, um, that's when, you know, you should try to find someone to mediate, i.e. safe space is um, ideally your HR uh, representative. 
Got it. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of the concern has come when people have tried to go to HR and still feel like, you know, their concerns are not addressed appropriately or or they're not addressed at all, you know, sometimes. Yeah. And it's it can be really frustrating, which, you know, leads me to always wonder, like, what is the culture within that work environment? Mm-hmm. So oftentimes, you know, especially if you're a person of color um, or, you know, a different culture, you're not sure what your voice is in that space. Um, So when I'm doing one-on-ones with clients, I'm, you know, really trying to help them create a safe space within themselves. So, you know, what is okay with you? What is not okay with you? Can you voice this? And, you know, having them to have agency over themselves and for them to be their own self-advocate. Now, if it creates tension or conflict, ideally, (laughs) ideally, we would want HR to come in um beyond that that's when it gets a little bit sketchy so it's like how do we implement some you know emotional intelligence and how we respond to um these microaggressions if they're continuing so what do you mean by that Fada? uh like this implementing emotional intelligence ah uh, yes <laughs> emotional intelligence my favorite <laughs> um so pretty much you know, emotional intelligence, or we can call it like your emotional quotient, your EQ, like an IQ, is just being able to understand, um, it, it starts with self-awareness. So understanding your emotions and how you deal with them, but being being able to recognize emotions in others. So it's it's kind of like being street smart, you know, being able to look at somebody and recognize like, oh, you know, their body language, their tone of voice, and helps you to be able to assess yourself on how you're going to respond. Okay. So can you give an example of like how you might be able to use that in the workplace? So, yes. I mean, I usually give an example because of, of a, a toddler uh, needing a nap, but, mm. it, uh, it, you know, in a workplace environment, it is. So Bill, um, you know, says a micro, you know, does something that relates to a microaggression and you have to kind of practice the pause. Mm. And I say there's like the three A's. So you become aware of your emotion. You're irritated, you're anxious, you're angry. You know, you identify the emotion. And so once you identify it, you know, so you are aware of it, then the next step is to assess it. Well, where did it come from? You know, because is Bill's statement truly a microaggression? Is Bill's statement um, something that reminds you of another time where maybe when you were in high school, somebody said something similar to that, like trying to get to what the root is of the trigger. And then you, then you know how to address it. So how do I respond without letting my emotional brain hijack the conversation? Um, but then being able to respond in a more, um, rational way and that's kind of having high eqs like not letting you know not that the emotion you should be emotional less but that you have more control over how you respond with your emotions okay so i'm wondering you know because i think a lot of the conversation has just been more about like the cumulative impact of like continuing to go to a job every day where people are saying you know random things about your hair or um talking about election news or whatever is going on in the news right and so i think the cumulative impact on that is really what is wearing a lot of people down it's so stressful yeah it is and so you know i hear you saying like okay how can you practice some of this emotional intelligence, but I think it also does relate to like, how are you managing the stress? Because I think if you are at such a high level of stress, your ability to respond in a way that has IEQ is diminished, right? 
Yes, because usually, you know, um, that's your, your emotional brain or your survival brain kind of kicks in, which mm-hmm. is your rational brain, i.e. your prefrontal cortex, the boss of your brain to kind of come in and help you to be rational, logical, come up with common sense uh, solutions. And so it, it is kind of like a chicken and the egg. But I say, you know, you don't have control over other people, but you do have control over yourself. So um, if it's a cumulative situation, sometimes it brings up and highlights something that you may not have even been aware of yourself. So obviously we're in a very tense climate with the election and, and this current administration and what we're hearing in current events. Um, and it may highlight how much you have probably been passive at work. Um, and, you know, and I'm not saying this as like a diss to someone to go like, ah, oh, you know, you haven't been speaking up, but it's, it's that moment of self-awareness is like, how have I been using my voice in this space? Mm-hmm. And if I have not been using it, how do I, again, have agency advocacy for myself to be able to say, hey, you know, I noticed that uh, for a while now you comment on, you know, my different hairstyles, you know, can you tell me what that's about? Mm-hmm. You know, and because sometimes people need to be checked because they're not self-aware because they may have low EQ um, of what they're doing to other people. So that's why I think it's really important when it comes to creating culture within the workplace that it starts from the top down. So as an employee, you only have so much control um, over your environment, but you can choose to figure out a way to respond in a healthy manner uh, as long as possible, because sometimes you, it may not be the environment for you to stay in. Um, while, you know, management, HR kind of gets their stuff together. Yeah, and I do think that that's an important point, right? Like that as an employee at a at a business, you know, like there is only so much that you can do and you may not be the person in charge or in power to be able to make some decisions that really would impact the culture of the, of the um, employment space. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes I think we don't even realize the power we have. I do believe in a ripple effect. And mm-hmm. I believe that when we, you know, my tagline is creating a healthier world by creating a healthier you, like the more you're able to understand who you are, why you do the things you do, why you respond the way that you respond, the more comfortable you are with being authentically yourself, then that creates a ripple effect of having other people feel like they can be comfortable, uh, you know, they could be transparent and authentically themselves as well, you know, and I think we perceive, uh, it's just this perception that um, we can't, like we can't truly, especially, you know, to be a black woman or a, a black male, we can't truly be who we are uh, mm-hmm. in corporate spaces. And I challenge that uh, with all of my, you know, not all of my clients are corporate, but many of them are, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're attorneys or they're bankers or uh, accountants or whatever. And I always challenge them. I was like, how are you, how are you being comfortable using your voice at work? Now I'm not saying go straight country back home <laughs> with your family. Like there's, there's a way that we may communicate with our family that we don't necessarily communicate with other people. But I do think that we have this perceived notion that um, we cannot use our voice. Mm-hmm. And that, that makes me like, that makes me sad, honestly. Yeah. So what, what are some of those small ripples that you think that we can make to kind of maybe be able to impact the culture of a workplace? What are some of the small things you can do to maybe um, make sure that people are able to kind of be authentically themselves in the workplace? Yeah. 
I mean, that's a good question. I think, you know, one is, is there somebody else there that is, that you recognize as safe, that you can mm-hmm. be honest with, uh, that you can talk to, not to gossip, because again, that's like low EQ, you know, gossiping or talking about somebody and being passive or passive aggressive, but finding someone where um, you can kind of bring up some things, ideally it would be great, you know, if this is, um not just your colleague, but, you know, a manager where you can go, Hey, you know, I'm seeing this, I'm seeing that. And then kind of share your voice a little bit and being able to kind of test the waters. Vulnerability is hard, um, but it's freeing, but I would never encourage someone to just like jump off (laughs) the deep end uh, without being able to know that there is a safety net. So to be able to ideally find a safe person that um, you can communicate with, so that, you know, going to work is not as stressful and you don't feel that you can truly uh, show up um, because everyone, quote unquote, um, is viewed as as the enemy. Mm-hmm. I think this also comes up sometimes around um, and I have, you know, read a lot about like the different cultures of organizations in terms of the expectations to do things like potlucks mm-hmm. and happy hours and, you know, all of that kind of thing that sometimes feels a little foreign, I think. Right. I think a lot of people view work as this is where I go to do my job and then at five o'clock this my time right but for a lot of organizations the expectation is that you will spend some time doing these like extracurricular kinds of things yeah but what's the point of those extracurricular types of things so i mean is this to create cohesion is this to create a more friendly work atmosphere you know i'm i'm always you know asking organizations like what is the purpose of what you know what's the intention behind the stuff that you do. So, you know, in terms of like um, wellness perks, you know, adding a gym or a juice bar, you know, or like (laughs) you're saying happy hour, like they're thinking, oh, you know, um, this will help with minimizing stress. This will help, you know, get people to get together, but it really doesn't address the individual. It doesn't really address the humanistic side of things where, you know, I I joke like a new mom or a new dad care less Mm -hmm. that there's a gym. They want to know that their boss will understand that they're sleep deprived and may need some flex, you know, some flex time Mm -hmm. and work from home. So, you know, organizations really need to figure out like, what is the culture that they really want to how, so that they can know that in their diverse group of people, um, that they're meeting the bulk of the need, mm-hmm. you know, cause you're not going to be able to get like everybody to be happy, right. but there should be some empathy, some active listening, some understanding, some, um, real hard evaluation of why things are the way they are, you know? So I remember talking to one organization and I'm like, what, what kind of, um, assessments do you do to determine, you know, what the need is in, you know, getting a speaker or to, you know, pay for a vendor resources. And, you know, their survey, I'll say it in quotes, <laughs> was, was lacking because, you know, it just showed like the majority thought everything was okay, but it wasn't broken down by gender mm-hmm. or race or sexual orientation. So it's like if the majority are white males and everything is copacetic with them, then HR thinks we don't have to do anything, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but then it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe John was able to, um, 
be promoted within two years. But Jermaine, it took him five years. But when you look at their performance reviews, they're the same. What's up with that? Mm-hmm. You know, so really being able to like go deep into the trenches of those cultures uh, to go, how do we truly have a working well uh, culture within this workspace that addresses, you know, these needs of all of the people that we claim, quote unquote, to be our employees, good employees that we want to keep. Yeah, and I think it it kind of goes beyond the survey, right? Because if if it's a survey that's going to be able to identify who I am, and I'm like the only black woman in the woman in the organization, I may not feel comfortable sharing um, what you know my true thoughts on a survey. But I do think that that speaks to the greater organizational culture. Like, what is the tone that's been set that I don't feel comfortable sharing my opinion, right? So I think yeah. it has to start before the survey. Yes. And who, you know, and then also to be clear to those who are working the intention, because Mm -hmm. if you're saying my intention is this and it sounds like it's for the wellness of everyone, then that kind of softens the blow a little bit like, oh, and, and then making sure that whoever you're coming in or bringing in to do these assessments, you know, say you're going to do an outside person versus, you know, internal HR, then that may also create some safety there. And then if you're having a diverse group of people, because I always thought it was interesting to have like diversity and inclusion being led by a white male or a white female. (laughs) And it's like, okay. And I'm not saying that they can't, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's like, if I am the black woman in the group, or if I am the Asian male in the group, do I feel safe? actually talking about the microaggressions that I experience every day from Chad (laughs) in this diversity inclusion workshop, you know? And so what making sure again, from the top down to be really smart and strategic and intentional um, from the front end to the back end on trying to create that place of wellness and addressing, you know, specifically we're talking about microaggressions, you know, so the diversity factor. Mm Mm-hmm. So you mentioned this a little earlier, Farah, Farah, um, the the whole idea of high emotional intelligence and that things like gossiping are not signs of high emotional intelligence. What kinds of things would you be encouraging? Like, what are some other signs of high emotional intelligence versus low emotional intelligence? Yeah, great question. So high emotional intelligence, again, brings up a lot of uh, self-awareness. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're self-aware, then you kind of know more of who you are and why you do what you do. Um, and then you have control over it. So, you know, we talked about, you know, a little bit of neuroscience, neuroscience about the brain, you know, so we got our emotional part of the brain, you know, our limbic system. And then we have like our rational side uh, part of the brain, which is in the front. Um, and so when you have high EQ, you're more assertive. Uh, you're more empathic. Uh, or empathetic. And then, you know, you're more compassionate. And so it's, it's one of those things where um, you create a space where people <laughs> actually feel comfortable talking to you uh, because you're straightforward. Um, but, you know, obviously with some tact and, you know, you're, you know, you're ambitious, you're decisive, um, you're, you have a charming personality, you're consistent. Uh, and I think I did mention earlier being, a, you know, active listening or being a good listener is another great skill. And so it's great when leaders and managers 
can have high EQ because there's kind of, again, that ripple effect. If you can be a person who can be straightforward, be decisive, be empathetic, um, being patient, you know, a good listener, your, your people who want to work with you and work for you have no problem having dialogue with you because they think they feel heard, they feel seen. Um, and then hopefully you in, t- in turn can train them to have that same kind of uh, high EQ. Because when you have a low EQ, that's where we get the aggressive boss, um, the poor listener, uh, the person who's passive aggressive, um, you know, uh, very impulsive, easily distracted, demanding, perfectionistic. Uh, and, you know, no one really wants to be around someone who kind of carries these traits. I'm glad you mentioned that because as you were talking, I was thinking like, oh, it sounds like it really is most important for the people in leadership to have high EQ, right? Like, and then of course there is a trickle down, but it sounds like it does start at the top that if, you know, managers are able to kind of exhibit this high emotional intelligence, then other people can kind of go behind their lead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because when you, you know, if you work in an environment and, um, that's toxic. You know, you look around and go, you know, why is it that, you know, Janet is always gossiping and, you know, we can't get work done or why is it that, you know, my coworker um, is just so passive aggressive. And then you look at management and you recognize that management kind of tries to turn a blind eye you know, to this behavior and it's not being addressed. And so usually what's happening at the bottom is just a sign of what's going on in the managerial part of the the organization. Mm. So how do you teach this? Well, (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, you know, seminars are coming in, you know, uh, by connecting with each or either uh, the diversity and inclusion department of an organization Mm -hmm. or through uh, HR. And, you know, a lot of companies have these quote unquote, you know, lunch and learns Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, box lunches or, you know, an after work event where you maybe be able to get some continuing education credits. And so I will do sessions on what emotional intelligence is, uh, effective communication, uh, boundary development. And then depending on the organizational needs, then, you know, we can go deeper because I, like I said, I love talking about EQ. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can give a basic 101, which gives people the time to kind of pause and reflect because, again, though we are at work the bulk of the week, the bulk of our day, <laughs> and the bulk of our lives, right. we still live lives outside. Mm-hmm. So I really want to be able to give people this knowledge, and it's a skill set that we all can have. So mm-hmm. we may not be able to raise our IQ, but we can always raise our EQ. And what I would want people to be able to have is this aha moment after, you know, presentation or, you know, um, a a workshop and go, oh, wait, I can use this with my spouse. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't realize how much I can use this with my, with my kids or with my friend. Um, Because I I really want to touch, again, I'm a therapist. So (laughs) originally, really, I want to touch the whole person Mm -hmm. and be able to help them be better in managing their emotions everywhere again creating that place of safety within yourself and go like I'm, I'm going to be consistent you know so I know like I did a talk two weeks ago on emotional intelligence and I think the first person that came to me was like can I talk to you about my 10 year old son <laughs> and I was like, oh, 
okay, um, I, you guys are a construction organization, but we'll talk about your son. Like, what's <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I really wanted, you know, I kind of do a little backdoor approach. Like, yes, we're going to talk about work, but really mm-hmm. we're going to talk about you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about like, how did you learn about emotions? You know, where did that come from? You know, did your family talk about emotions? Did they hide from emotions? Did they overly express them? Because that's probably what you're bringing to the, to your workplace. Right. Like what's the old saying, wherever you go, there you are. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, You're always bringing yourself. You can't run you. from yourself. Exactly. So something else that has come up in conversation um, is this move that lots of organizations are going toward with this whole like open floor plan, mm-hmm. right? Where people don't even have high cubicles anymore. It's just like everybody sitting at these long tables and that kind of thing. Um, and it does. <laughs> hmm? I'm like, they're taking down the walls. <laughs> Right. And I think a lot of, um, you know, what's involved with EQ and just kind of managing your emotions in general is like being able to collect yourself sometimes or having a space to go to kind of withdraw and take a moment and recoup. And now we don't even have any of that anymore in a lot of workspaces. (laughs) So what are your suggestions for that? Like people who are working in these, you know, open floor plan offices that don't even have personal space anymore. Yeah. You know, I I, I get the I get the, again, the attention <laughs> of uh-huh. this, uh, you know, what's the saying, you know, the road to hell was led with good intention. Exactly. Yeah. So, I, it, it makes sense. But however, I don't think that they've truly, and this is why I really like bringing the, a humanistic point of view when I talk to corporations, because again, it's always about bottom line, product, mm-hmm. which is great, the numbers. But again, you're still, your numbers don't get met, met unless you have people do it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we, let's deal with the people. So for extroverts, I initially, it's like the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. You know, because extroverts love being around people. They get energized by being around people. So having an opportunity to look at you across the table, um, like feeds into them. However, it becomes a distraction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then when you got the introverts, it's not that introverts are um, antisocial. It's more so that they need that quiet time to regroup. They like more one-on-ones because they don't like superficial conversation. So to have the open space, it actually probably creates more anxiety for a person who's introverted because they're always thinking like my space is being invaded. So if you cannot avoid, um, you know, the new construction of your work environment, For introverts, I really encourage them to have headphones um, because one, it does help to quiet the noise. Two, it's like a physical boundary. Uh, You know, and again, hopefully you have other coworkers who have some decent EQ and can recognize that if you have headphones on, probably shouldn't try to talk to you. Um, And then, you know, maybe still even with management, trying to create a quiet space, uh, like a room um, or a library where, you know, people can be able to focus or talk about sensitive information because, you know, not everybody wants to talk about negotiating their salary (laughs) right there in the open. Mm -hmm. So still being able to create some, you know, uh, quiet spaces and private spaces while uh, managing, you know, the more open floor plan, which again makes sense because the cubicles do do cause people to be more passive. Mm -hmm. So they'll send an email when you literally like right around the corner, <laughs> right. like, hey, this really causes you to have more face-to-face dialogue, which is good. But being able to, again, um, 
create that culture of like, how do we still respect each other's space and each other's time? So for the introverts, I'm like, just throw on some headphones, <laughs> mm-hmm. even if there's nothing playing, you know, yeah. it gives that illusion that, oh, you know, fire is working and she's focused and I can't talk to her right now. Uh, but I mean, again, it, it's everything has the, the, the good and the bad, you know, the cubicles aren't always so great and open spaces aren't so great. But if maybe we can create a, a balance of the two where, you know, there's at least a couple of spaces that people know they can go to for quiet, personal conversation, a place to regroup um, would be helpful. So that does kind of lead me to my next question in terms of like, and you mentioned this earlier when workplaces will try to do these wellness perks like a juice bar or granola bars for everybody or, you know, let's all go to Dave and Buster's or whatever kinds of things, right? Well, what kinds of things should corporations and organizations really be looking at in terms of creating healthy workspaces? Flexibility is huge, mm-hmm. um, you know, and there's more and more research. I think there was an article that I saw maybe a couple of weeks ago about people over their age of 40 should only really be working like three or four days a week. And I was like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> completely perfect. Um, you know, but having that flexibility without penalty, because I think it, we're trying to catch up with, with, with the times, you know, so we, you know, my parents were baby boomers I'm Gen X. And so there was that whole belief that you, you know, you work a full nine hour day, you know, you get your lunch, you stay with the company forever, you hopefully get a pension and then you retire and you die. <laughs> like That's the model. But that's not what people are looking for. That's not what a lot of millennials are looking for. And, you know, so having that value add of like, okay, do you, do you trust me enough to get the work done that I can do some work from home? Do you trust me that I don't have to be here from 7.30 to 5.30 every day uh, because I, I show up with results? Um, being able to be clear, I think one of the biggest things that I get from clients who are frustrated um, is that there's not a clear career path. So being able to have clear expectations on what you're expecting from the employees, but then knowing that you're investing in their future also, you know, brings a sense of wellness because they know what they're looking for. Um, another part of having, you know, good EQ is being self-motivated. Um, so it's like, oh, wow, I know I can do this because this is being offered. And also my boss is valuing uh, and investing in my future. So being able to do that because management really sets the tone, you know, and being able to give constructive feedback, like don't wait till, you know, your best person is getting ready to leave to tell them how much, you know, they're meant, you know, they're, they're meant to the group or to the team, you know, give constructive feedback continuously. Uh, that helps the client, the employee um, feel seen and feels heard and understood. And, and like, again, it feels valued within the workplace. Right. So you can keep the juice bar, but give me a flex schedule. Right. Because, <laughs> great. because you do want them to be able to know like, well, you know, they take care of the external because that's a lot of external stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, so I want the juice bar. I want the free gym pass. You know, I want, um, I have a friend of mine. They really, really amped up their wellness program at her company. And she's like, oh yeah, I just finished doing, um, I don't know if she was making a vase. (laughs) It was, she was, I was like, what are they doing? She's like, yeah, we're doing knitting and like all these really cool things. But I said, how important is that to you? 
versus the fact that you've come back from maternity leave and you've talked to your manager who's like, I see leadership skills in you. I want to send you to Arizona for some leadership training and let me know when you need to take time off to like pick up the kids. Right. And so that balance is what makes her want to push harder as an employee because it's mm-hmm. like, okay, within the workspace, you've given me, you know, nice self-care things that I can do. But if I leave the workspace, I still know that you are like investing in me, you know, whether right. it was through the flex time or um, job growth. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite resources for people who want to learn more about like emotional intelligence or, um, you know, like how they can create healthier workspaces? So I, I was thinking about this because there are two resources that I usually give um, my clients, whether they're, you know, in corporate spaces or not. And it, it, I'm always saying like, let's start with the self-awareness. Um, but then also let's take care of the goals. And so work-life balance is myth. It's more work-life alignment. <laughs> you know, so how are we creating a life that we want? Um, so a great book that I think everyone should have, you know, in their um, library is The 12-Week Year by Brian P. I want to say his last name is Moran. Um, and Michael Lennington. Because um, they do a lot of mindset work. And, you know, having you really stop and to evaluate, you know, what it is that you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish without uh, freaking out and, you know, dissing yourself because you didn't get something done. It, it makes you, it's one of those like active, smart goals that's very practical. Okay. Uh, and another resource that I think everyone should have, too, is Boundaries by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Okay. I would say it's like Boundaries 101 because they do have a series, but this book begins to highlight that self-awareness because sometimes we're thinking we have healthy boundaries, but in reality, our our boundaries may be too flexible or too loose or too rigid. And, um, but it also highlights boundary violators. So again, talking about the top of our conversation about microaggressions, those are boundaries being crossed, you know, especially when someone touches our hair, (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. like, wait, you're, t- you know, you're crossing a physical boundary. So being able to recognize them within yourself and recognize them in others. And there's practical examples of whether it's a boundary at home, boundaries with your spouse. Um, I think it's like boundaries with family, boundaries at work. They kind of have the different chapters. And like I said, it's a series. So if you want specifically boundaries at work, there's a, you know, they also uh, author that book, but a great starting point is just the book titled Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend that give you the, um, like, first open door into understanding boundaries and self-awareness. And then I think everyone should have a self-care journal or a planner. Um, you can pick up one anywhere. However, I would say that I've created a 21-day self-care planner uh, that's available. Um, you know, on my, you know, different social media handles. And it's there to create, again, that work-life alignment. So it does address self-care at work and then self-care outside of work. Oh, oh yeah, I'm sorry. And then no. the Calm app, which is free. You the can what app? Calm, C-A-L. Oh, yeah, C-A-L-M. And it's free. Um, but a lot of my clients who are in corporate spaces who uh, struggle with anxiety love that app and choose to actually pay for the, the full subscription. But I always say start with the free and mm-hmm. see where you want to go with it. Right. 
So I do want to talk a little bit more about the whole work-life alignment, because I do think for years we have been fed this lie about work-life balance when clearly there is no balance, right? There's always something competing for our attention. Um, so, so talk more about what you consider work-life alignment and how people can kind of do better with that. I think, again, yeah, I agree with you to the the lie that we've been taught. Um, and I think for women, it's even been harder mm-hmm. uh, because uh, working women in particular who feel that they have to be everything and do everything. Uh, and then they end up being burnt out and frustrated and unhappy. So then you become an unhappy wife and hum- unhappy mother if you have kids and, um, you know, maybe satisfied at work, but not content in how work plays into your life. So when I talk about work-life alignment, it is how do you uh, create that value of work to the life that you want to live? So I'm, 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 I, I could use myself as an example. So I'm a mompreneur, so I have kids, and I'm a, and a wife, and um, I need to know, well, how many days of work am I comfortable doing so that I could be home with my kids? How much money do I need to make to, you know, feel comfortable? Because um, I can't sit there, because I have worked in corporate environments before I became a, a therapist, is that I can't say I want to have a thriving marriage or be able to be at all my kids' events, but I'm working, you know, 80-hour week. It just doesn't line up, mm-hmm. you know? So it is a, a give and take. It is being able to say, how do my values create my, ba- my boundaries? So going back to boundaries. So if I know that my values are... A stable family household, a healthy, thriving marriage, um, you know, children who are content and, and I'm present, then I need to figure out how everything else plays into that value. So how does work, my time at work, the ch- t- type of work I do, you know, is work just here to be um, a, a investor in what I want to do is, is work here to be able to just pay the bills and, you know, I'll find uh, something else uh, that will be able to feed my passion of, you know, art. I don't know, but taking that time to go, how do I want my life to look? Because you're going to recognize where your boundaries are being crossed in those areas where you're irritable because you're tired and you're stressed. Um, And usually that's a sign that a boundary has been crossed. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And does your, uh, the journal that you've developed, does it help you to kind of get clear about that? It does okay. in, in the sense that, I mean, it's again, 21 days, so mm-hmm. there'll be more to come. Um, mm-hmm. but like, this is kind of a commencement into, I say that self-care is not this investment of going to the spa or getting a mani-pedi or going on vacation. It's an investment into yourself intentionally every single day. And it's so that you're going to be able to create a life you don't want to run away from. Because mm-hmm. I hear a lot of people talk about, oh, man, fire, I'm just tired. I just need a vacation. I just need to get away. And it's like, okay, well, now you got to, you got to the point where you're stressed and you're burnt out. Mm-hmm. So what have you not been doing every single day to make you okay? Are you not sleeping enough hours? Are you adding too much to your plate? Are you overcommitting? Are you not delegating enough? Like it's so the 
every day kind of challenges you to do one simple thing to, um, I would say, elevate your wellness. So it starts off on creating a nighttime routine. And then the next day is a morning routine because people don't really take the time to be intentional with that and how much it's important to your um, brain health and your physical health to have proper rest. And then it goes into like the, you know, the deeper stuff of, you know, are you comparing yourself to people at work or anyone in your life? And what is that about? You know, are you shooting yourself? <laughs> you know, and I yes. say should <laughs> the expectation, which just is the cousin of dissatisfaction and uh, disappointment. So, yes. you know, so it, it has those like self-reflective questions um, on certain days and other days have like some actional, you know, action steps on, uh, you know, making sure you're maximizing your commute and just being intentional. I really want people to be more intentional with their lives instead of kind of letting their lives just run them. Yeah, I've checked out the the journal for Arda, and I think it's a great introduction, like you said, into like, okay, these are the ways that I can be making some small changes, not even like life, you know, life changing, but very small decisions, right? It doesn't have to be like this big grand scale kind of no, thing. No, because you're trying to create a life by design. And yeah. it's not going to happen overnight, but like these little implemented, and, I, and the thing that I like about the journal is that you literally could just print it off again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right and do it for another 21 days right and, so, um, and and ideally I would love it to grow to be you know uh, working well daily you know for new moms or whatever mm-hmm. so it's specific to where you are in life but right now it's just this general look at how am I actually making time for myself like how am I caring for myself because we do really try to run away from our lives instead of actually going, wait, I'm the narrator. (laughs) I can edit, I can copy, I can paste, I Mm -hmm. can do whatever I need to do to create a life that I don't want to run away from. So where can we find you online? What is your website as well as any social media handles you'd like to share? Sure. Um, Well, my website is farahharrislcpc.com and Farah is... F-A-R-A-H, Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, and then lcpc.com. And then and all my social media handles, so on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, is at Farah Harris LCPC. And then I'm also the um, creator of the group Working Well, uh, and it's a Facebook group. It's closed, so, you know, you just asked to be, you know, invited in. Uh, But that's where, you know, you'll get additional tips. Uh, That's where people are open to asking questions about what's going on at their work, you know, if they're planning on transitioning from one career to another. It's really a safe place for uh, people who are looking to understand work-life alignment and get support from other professionals, other mothers, other dads, um, and and, and feel not judged (laughs) you know, if they're having an issue at work and they want to, you know, kind of get some feedback on how to, to, to manage it. So I usually try not to answer any questions that people post because I kind of like to let the, the village mm-hmm. <laughs> chime in and then I'll bring my, you know, therapeutic um, expertise a little bit later. And, and so it, it's been exciting um, having this group grow. It, it's, it's been since I think January is when, you know, I started the group. So if you're interested in working well, there's a Facebook group waiting for you to to come join us. 
Perfect. And all of that information will be included in the show notes for anybody who can't write it down right now. So (laughs) don't worry about missing any of the information. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I loved it. I love your program. I love what you're doing. And I think you're just such a wealth of um, resources that especially Black women need right now. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful that Fire was able to share her expertise with us today. Be sure to check out the show notes to get more information about her practice and her self-care planner. You can find them at therapyforblackgirls.com slash session 65. If you're looking for a therapist in your area, be sure to visit the directory at therapyforblackgirls.com slash directory. And if you want to continue this conversation and join a community of other sisters who listen to the podcast, come on over and join us in the Thrive Tribe at therapyforblackgirls.com slash tribe. Be sure to answer the three questions that are asked to gain entry. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. And I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take care.